0: Kaepernick walks to the line to change the play. Turns to tell the running backs. Turns to tell Gore. Five seconds to snap. Kaepernick lifts the right leg. He takes the shotgun snap. Hands it to Gore. Gore
1: running right side. He's in. Touchdown 49ers. A gaping hole off the right side. And Frank Gore has put the 49ers in front for the first time in the NFC Championship. (laughs)
2: What is up, Football Nation? Welcome to the Football Nation Presents, the Sportscasters Podcast, a very special Pro Bowl-only edition of the show today. (laughs) That'd be great. (laughs) Episode 37, it's January 24th, 2013 in very cold Buffalo, New York. I am the host, Steve Bennett, my co-host, Don Ross.
0: I'm excited to talk some Pro Bowl.
2: Yeah, we're all Pro Bowl today. We're going to have live interviews from Hawaii, three things dedicated to the Pro Bowl.
0: How many people do you think immediately turn? <laughs> just shut the podcast off? Yeah, we're just off. kidding.
2: Don't don't shut it off. We're kidding. We're actually going to do uh, something really good today. One of our best guests, Richard Deitch, is going to be on the show to do Super Bowl media. Make and fun of us. Make fun of us, probably, yeah. yeah. And possibly burn some bridges for us as well, like last <laughs> time he was on the show. We're, we love having Richard on. This way we can guarantee ourselves never to get a guest again from some other media outlet. That's right. Yeah, so... He's back for more uh, of that. We want to thank Mark Bradley from the Atlanta Journal and Constitution for being on the show today, and I'd like to wish all Falcons fans a real tough sorry for your luck from all Saints fans. (laughs) Way to blow your dream season. 13-3, first seed, playoffs march through you. Yeah. Seventeen to nothing lead in the first quarter, and you just can't get it done, Atlanta. Too I mean, I'm, bad.
0: I'm sure in our three things we'll discuss. Oh yes, the course. games. Right? But, uh, yeah. yeah. So sorry I'll, about We'll, we'll get to Atlanta. that one. Right.
2: Um, well, I said Richard Deitch is on. I said Mark Bradley was on last week. Uh, there's no sportscasters proper this week. We're building up towards our
0: football preview Super Bowl, Super Bowl show, right. which
2: we'll be doing on both shows next week. Will be a big super yeah believe it or not we'll talk about the sportscasters uh since that i heard they're playing that in new orleans next uh next week right um so i guess we can get started with three things let's play a game all right count of three one all righty i'll take it off two the oil patterns on a pba lane are very very difficult I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs>
1: this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep.
2: Now let's move on to other business.
0: All right, so let's get into it. The Falcons game. What, what a mess! What yeah. a mess.
2: It just seemed the Falcons came out so well. And, you know, Mark Bradley on the show last week said the key to the Falcons victory was to get ahead. And boy, did they get ahead. I mean, in the first quarter, I know the yards for San Francisco is negative 2. And the Falcons had 10 points in that quarter, um, including the long touchdown by Julio Jones, who looked like he was unstoppable. And I mean, his numbers are great when you look at the end of the day. You know, 11 catches for 182 yards and two TDs. And the Falcons uh, let the 49ers back into it. Uh, after leading 17, nothing, it was 17, 14 kind of quickly, but then the Falcons got in their two minute drill where they're just, they're deadly. They really are deadly when they get in that two minute offense and they scored a touchdown to make it 24, 14 at the half. And you kind of thought, at least I did, that that might've settled them down again, that they might've snuffed out the comeback before the comeback got started but in the second half, they didn't score a point. Right. And uh, Frank Gore had two rushing touchdowns, and the 49ers really got the running game going. They rushed for a lot of yards. Kaepernick didn't have to do much, he didn't make any mistakes. Um, the Falcons had two bad, fumble, or two bad turnovers an interception and a fumble. Neither one of them led to points by the 49ers, but they also killed drives that. The Falcons needed points, and also field position became an issue because uh, the one turnover resulted in a turnover by Michael Crabtree on the goal line, basically, which is a really nice play by the DB of the Falcons. Um, I think it was Samuel who made that play, a really nice play.
0: Now... All year long, I'm not going to say we're right because we weren't exactly right. I mean, they made they were one stop or one score away from. Yeah, they got inside the, the red Super Bowl.
2: zone with a chance to score to go to the right. Super Bowl. So
0: to say that, like, we've said all year, we just don't. We're, we're missing something about the Falcons. We're not sure what it is. We can't put our fingers on it. We were wrong about that. They made it they were we were but they also in both of their playoff games
2: built big leads that yeah that's and what then let them evaporate that's and the I exact that's point part i was gonna of make what didn't add up to us and they
0: did that all year yep. we talk about early in the season when they beat denver that was a game where five more minutes in that game Denver's going to win that game the only reason they won the denver game is because they got a big early lead and it seems like that's the only reason they won their other playoff game is they got a big early lead and they just held on and it, Throughout the season you kinda of saw that they get a big lead and just kinda of hang on. I mean in the beginning of these games, Matt Ryan looks like Joe Montana. Yeah, and I mean he I mean his
2: numbers are, are great when you look at him at the end, thirty of forty two, three hundred and ninety six yards, that's a Falcons record for the playoffs. He had three touchdown passes. He also had a pick that I mean it didn't cost him points, but it didn't help them. Right, and a fumble. And a fumble. Which was just him looking, I think, up the field before
0: accepting the snap. Right. It wasn't a bad snap or anything like that. Yeah, that's going to be a tough. It's going to be a tough game for them to to look back at because th- they didn't do anything overwhelmingly wrong. You know what I mean? Like, like there are two the-
2: receivers. Like, if, if you would say to me before the game, Matt Ryan's have 396 yards three hundred ninety six yards, three. Touchdowns. Roddy White is going to have 7 catches for 100. Jones, 11 for 182. Tony Gonzalez have 8 for 78 and a touchdown. You'd think they won that game all day long.
0: Right. The only thing they didn't do, is especially while was run. The only but, 81
2: yards rushing. But
0: if you put up 400 yards in the air, that shouldn't matter. Especially since San Francisco's strength is usually their defense. But they just couldn't They only hold had on. 2
2: penalties. They had 32 minutes of possession. They won that battle.
0: I, I bet you... In that locker room, and in the, there's still a lot of people scratching their heads about what happened in that game. Yeah, and... and, and To come out and put zero points up in a half. it, it just After a, scoring 24 of, on
2: one of the best defenses yep. in the league in the first half. It's a
0: tale of two halves, and... Uh, I don't know. I guess the question I was going to ask you during the Open, but I knew we'd get to it here, is... Are they still chokers? I mean, that's kind of their reputation. Is there this playoff choke artist team? This time they made it all the way to the... The championship, which when game. you have a
2: bye means they won one, one. home playoff oh, right, game right. against a wild card team. I, I don't know if they're chokers per se, but they certainly. I remember when the Saints had their big year. It's very similar to this Atlanta year, where the Saints went thirteen and zero, then lost three games and went into the playoffs with all kinds of question marks surrounding them. Right. You know, no team has ever lost three games, to end the season and won the Super Bowl. Can the Saints turn it back on? Those kinds of things. And I remember in the first playoff game against Atlanta, or Arizona, excuse me, Tim Hightower, I believe, scored a touchdown, a long touchdown run on the first play from scrimmage on offense. Okay. And I just remember thinking, we can't let everyone be right. We can't blow this season. We can't. This dream season, we it we have to get to the Super Bowl, and I think that in a lot of ways that was what was at stake for the Falcons this year. Everything went their way all year long. It was their it felt like their year, and they didn't finish it. And they had they had everything. They had the seventeen point lead with almost a half of the game gone at home with their star quarterback playing as well as he could and a rookie quarterback who's only played eight NFL games on the other side.
0: Right. Yeah, to me that that's gonna feel like a game. I mean to make a hockey analogy, we had the two thousand seven, two thousand eight Sabres here that was a lot of fun to watch. A team that just seemed built to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, after that first season when they had that real nice year the next yeah they the started next regular to the next regular season for Atlanta, is going to be... This is Super Bowl or bust. I mean, the team isn't going to look that much different next year. I mean, I, I don't study the Atlanta. They're going to have
2: to replace Gonzalez, who seems... Right, right. ...tiring.
0: I mean, that'll be... A, that. That's not nothing. No. Uh, but, I mean, the receiving core is still going to be great. Matt Ryan's still going to be Matt Ryan. Their defense should be pretty solid again. I mean, this isn't a team that... There wasn't, like, a glaring hole anywhere that they needed running to fix. Running back, maybe. Yeah, maybe running back. Running back and tight end on the offensive side of the ball. And maybe... Uh, yeah, nobody could cover Vernon they, I mean, he's, he had five catches for 106, which is a nice game. I'm surprised it's only five catches. It just seemed like every important play... Yes, he Vernon got the Davis ball, was there. ...and he was yep. wide open. Like, I, I they just forgot about him, except for... and They, and they got burned on big plays. So... I think the
2: story in this game really is more about Atlanta than San Francisco because we'll have plenty of time to talk about San Francisco next week. You know what I mean? Like, sure. It just feels like maybe just having Bradley on last week and, and talking about the Falcons. and It just feels like this was their their year to be there, and they're not there. And Yeah, and if you flip the – That's got to be frustrating if you're a Falcons fan. We
0: gave all the big stats for – Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Roddy White had a big game. So did Tony Gonzalez. If you flip the game around, Kaepernick had a pretty pedestrian game, manager efficient. type of get, yeah, day. Yeah, efficient. Two hundred thirty yards. No, no interceptions. I guess is the big and a good completion percentage. When he threw it, he was usually completed it. But they also they ran the ball pretty well. I guess that's the difference. They averaged about a little over five yards a carry. Uh, Frank Gore, but again, it wasn't like Gore rushed for two hundred. He rushed for ninety yards. The receivers, Vernon Davis, had the big day, like I said. But it's not a game where the offense just dominated. No, like you I said think they held they them to the negative two yards. They or made away. the
2: plays when they needed to. I guess.
0: Yeah, I guess a lot can be said about how everything had gone right for Atlanta up until that point, and they just couldn't get. All they needed was one more thing to go right, and they couldn't get it this year. I mean, they even had Akers miss a field goal, right? That he probably should have made. And, and that, that was
2: that, a tough luck miss for Akers, too, because he hit that really well. It yeah. hit all the way to the top of the upright. I mean, but, he's had a brutal season, obviously, but that felt like more of a tough luck miss than I know, anything.
0: Right. I know I brought up that, that Saber season. I said the hardest part about the offseason was getting excited for the regular season. And then they did go on that nice run. That's yeah, what Atlanta's no going to have star. to do because yep. I know football's got way less games, so every game's exciting, but that's going to be a Super Bowl or bus team next year, and... If anything less than that is going to be disappointing. I mean, they were one play away at any point in this game to make it a Super Bowl.
2: And you know what? Their division is not going to be nearly as easy next year as it was this year. Uh, the Saints, you would assume, will be better with Sean Payton back. Um, Carolina it on really end, strong. Yeah. Cam Newton is going to be a force for a long time. And Atlanta has a lot of good young players and maybe a good young coach. Uh, They're going to only be in year two of that process, and Doug Martin looks like he's a really good player. Tampa, you said Atlanta. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, Tampa, obviously, the third of the four teams in the NFC South. So their division's not going to be as as easy as it was. And when are they ever going to get a team start at home in the NFC Championship game? With a 17-0 lead and a guy who's only played eight games on the other side of the field. When is that opportunity going to present itself again? Right. And the NFC is looking like... Now, I'm not saying Colin Kaepernick is a is a bum, but you still felt He's like def- they had him right where they wanted him. Right. I, I mean, you, if you, you could ask anyone who's a fan of any team. I'll give you a 17-point lead in the middle of the second quarter at home in the championship game against any team with any quarterback playing his eighth game ever. Right. And anyone would sign up for that in a heartbeat.
0: Right. I mean, you're
2: and they couldn't finish. You'd it.
0: rather play Kaepernick this year than next year. Right? Absolutely. I mean, you get a full season under his belt, a full playoff run, now a Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that lined up for them. And that's, that's basically what I was getting at in a roundabout way is that's, Going to be Super Bowl or bust next year. It's going to be a long off season. And stretch they'll never have no what as happened. good
2: of a look at it as they just did.
0: No, it almost seems like the the power. If the AFC was the powerhouse conference, it seems like that might be shifting back to the NFC. Like I mean, the last few years with the uh, going back to like Pittsburgh and New England and India, I guess. I mean, although they only won one, but uh, it seems like the NFC has a lot of talented teams. And then you've got teams like, like Washington, uh, the giants that might be better. Who knows what's going to happen in Philly. This might be one of them times when the Falcons fans were like, that was our year. Yep. We, I feel that we way. they
2: will never have as good of a look as they did this year.
0: All right. The other game, surprisingly,
2: uh, this game was weird to me.
0: Yeah. Don't listen back to our tapes, uh, podcast. <laughs> I mean, you should listen to them, but, uh, Boy, every game that we said, I can't envision a scenario where quarterback X beats Hall of Fame quarterback Y. Quarterback X has won those games, and this time it was Joe Flacco, and
2: and he outplayed Tom Brady significantly in the game.
0: Yeah, Brady ended up with 300 yards pass over 300 yards passing and a TD. 54 attempts though, two picks, right? 54 attempts. A lot of those yardage were because they were behind. They they figured him out for a Baltimore team that I gave the stats on last week. Bottom third of the league in both rushing and pass defense. They figured out Brady. And they were the key in the game, too, because the Patriots controlled the
2: game early. You know, and the Patriots right. had, I think, three red zone trips in early in the game. And they, they treaded water. The Baltimore defense kept that game within reach for their offense. And then their offense made big plays. Yeah, uh, and Tom Brady, it was the weirdest game I've ever seen him play cuz I just never got the in- I never felt the intensity. I never felt like Brady was Brady at all. It almost seemed like he was uninterested. In a really strange he way. He
0: certainly wasn't efficient at all. Low completion percentage and like you said 54 passes. They the run game was okay, but they couldn't rely on it, I guess. Just they couldn't stay on the field when they needed to. And, I mean, this they is, they didn't this get is points. a historically good offense that scored 13 points.
2: One thing I'll say, though, is I'm certainly not ready to write the end of the Patriots dynasty column like I've seen around People tried to do that at the beginning spots. of this year. Right. I think that they have a lot of good young talent. They had a good, great first-round draft last year. They always seem to have a ton of draft picks. Um, as long as Belichick and Brady are there, I think that... They're going to be a team that is going to be in the hunt in some way. Um, uh, I'm, so I'm not ready to throw no. stones on them, but, you know, maybe, you know, Baltimore, they just, I guess they just got on the ride. They're like this year's Giants in a way. Sure, they're, They just got on the Ray Lewis train, and they're taking it all the way to New Orleans.
0: And I joked, kind of, or kind of joked last week, half joked, that – uh if the Patriots came out and win this game, are you happy that Joe Flacco has played so well as a Baltimore fan? And now I guess you got to say yes. He's played really I think this game was more indicative of who he is. He did throw the ball 36 times, but it wasn't like a down the field passing attack. They used screens really well. They used Ray Rice and uh you know where Dennis Flacco Pitta. was
2: especially good was in the red zone. Um the Ravens were 4 for 4 in the red zone in this game and Flacco was really good at using his receiver's sh- strengths in that area. Both of the throws, to Bolden? especially the second Bolden touchdown, yeah. at first it looked like that ball was going to sell out of the end zone, you know, but it was actually a perfect throw high to the back shoulder where only Bolden could get it. And Bolden went up and got it. And I think that, you know, it's nice to be able to throw to a wide receiver who's really a tight end and has that kind of size and strength in that area. He's a great weapon there, but you got to, You got to throw that. That's not an easy throw, especially in the windy conditions there. And I was impressed with Flacco. I was impressed with his poise. There was times when the game was in doubt. It kind of looked like he was smiling, real relaxed out there. And Brady just had like a scowl on his face all day, like he just didn't want to be in the cold or something. It (laughs) it was a really weird, weird Patriots. Another
0: game though, where a team leads going into halftime and didn't score a point.
2: I'm pretty sure I heard that's the first time they've ever lost at home under Belichick with a with the halftime lead. lead. Yeah,
0: and it's something like sixty-seven and zero. It was like a crazy good, or that was the Brady record. I think with Belichick had that record a little bit longer with some other guys, but yeah, Brady like sixty-one or sixty-seven and zero leading at the half in New England, and they they just couldn't figure it out. Yeah, I couldn't
2: get a point. The whole the whole it was really I think never that all that, that. That fumble, which I mean, I'm not gonna. Blame for the fall. No, ball, he was out on his got, feet, it looked like. He got crushed, and, you know, that happens, but um, I think that was a big turning point in the game, and that doesn't, you don't need a podcast on Football Nation to be able to point that
0: out. Right, and, uh, yeah, it was a weird game, too, because even though it was, you just felt like kind of like in the San Francisco regular season game against New England, at some point New England's going to figure this out and turn it on, and Baltimore never really had a big enough lead where you thought. It would be insurmountable, but that's what happened. They just they they figured out Brady somehow, and they didn't seem to be hitting him a ton or anything like that because that's kind of the formula that the Giants. It was used. just a real weird Brady game. Yeah, it just wasn't not not a good one from him at all. Yeah, and no. So now we got a uh, the Super Bowl coming up. We'll talk, like you said, way more about that next week. Yeah, it's... and we got a good email about that later on too. Yeah. So I guess we can move on at this point then. Sure. My second thing this week, Pat White, who, when I first read that, I thought yeah, you the know, running back. Pat White. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, wait, that's Lendell White. And no, Pat White, uh, the West Virginia quarterback.
2: Drafted by the Dolphins in the second round. Yeah.
0: When the Wildcat was all the in rage. Vogue, right, right, right. Well, he wants to make an NFL comeback. And Pro Football Talk has an article about how he's going to go to the Senior Bowl. And I guess talk to teams about playing quarterback which is an odd thing to me uh yes this is my second story i'm leading with this week there's not a lot going on yet slow luckily i mean we haven't heard any stories about players getting arrested or anything like that in in the week between the between the game but yeah pat white if you see him at the senior bowl out there he's looking for a job so Help, help a
2: brother out, you know? Yeah,
0: 26 years young. He says, I'm still young. My legs are still with me. I'm like a 2009 model with about 4,500 miles on it. It still runs just as smooth. So he's a, a quick wildcat mobile quarterback. That or Now, the wildcat might not be popular, but the, the uh, mobile options, quarterback sure read options. Sure. Yeah. So maybe somebody out there takes a chance on him. Who knows? Maybe like... The, Jets? the Jags, the Jets, sure. It seems that, but I don't know. If you're Pat White, or if you're an NFL team, don't you just draft a kid? Like, why? Why would you go back to the well with Pat yeah, White? Yeah,
2: and you know what? I just, I would enjoy the read option while it lasts. It feels a lot like the Wildcat.
0: It does. We'll I know there's we'll some see. good
2: young kids in the league running it. Kaepernick and, and Russell that, Wilson and RG three, and that makes you feel good, maybe about. The prospects of it, it might just be. But it just seems like good. one of those things that people can figure out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. next year will be interesting for that because there's a
2: lot of teams that use it now. All right, my number two story uh, is one that creeped up this morning, or this the morning that we're recording this. Uh, Sean Payton has been officially reinstated by Commissioner Goodell, who I guess just days away from traveling to New Orleans suddenly is a Saints fan again. In the same day, he approved Sean Payton's contract, which was essentially the same as the one that he
0: canceled. out a
2: year ago, and uh, minus a little bit of language, I guess, about him being linked to Loomis. And also uh, reinstated Payton two full weeks earlier than he had to. And he did that just for the Saints, you know, in New Orleans. (laughs) Well, now Payton can... Call Joe Vitt and go to the Super Bowl and return to Senior his office Bowl, yeah. or Senior Bowl uh, or the Super Bowl if he wants. Sure, uh, be a part of the team. He doesn't have to wait for for anything. And uh,
0: well, he might he might like New Orleans now, but New Orleans doesn't like them apparently. they're in their parade. Yeah, they had a... Giant vagina eating Roger Goodell or right, something like yes. that as a parade float. Yeah, so, so uh, why... Yeah, I don't... So he didn't avoid controversy. Work. It's no. not going to
2: work. It's a good try. Yeah, I guess. And as a Saints fan, I'm thrilled to have Coach Payton back because uh, we certainly missed him. Seems, I know seems a did, little
0: empty at this point.
2: But uh, too little too late, I would say.
0: All right, my last thing this week is very bizarre to me, and I'd love to get email from... Uh, Cowboys fans, but Jerry Jones told his head coach Jason Garrett that, uh, "Hey, you're gonna you can still coach my team, and I know you're the offensive guy, but you're not gonna call plays anymore." No. And promotion—that's unheard of. Yeah, he he didn't call it a demotion. He says it's like an opportunity. It's a promotion for him somehow. I, I, none of which makes sense. I can't Anytime imagine you're how you can weigh
2: responsibility for, for a guy. You're definitely patting him on the back and saying, "Here's a promotion."
0: How can you work for a guy like that? that uh, nightmare tells you how to do... That's the strangest thing I've ever heard. I, of, in a litany of strange things that come from Jer- Jerry Jones over there. Jerry Jones is great at
2: buying something for a dollar and selling it for two. Building you know, he's stadiums. He's great at and making money and, and uh, spending money.
0: Making giant scoreboards.
2: Yep, and uh, he hired a really good coach when he first bought the team. And they made a really good trade. To acquire a bunch of picks for a running back that right, right. turned into a lot of good players, and they won a couple Super Bowls, but they have really been almost a poster child for what not to do since,
0: or at least for underachievement. And he, his face constantly—he's not Mark Cuban in the stands cheering for a team. He's the like evil. He thinks he's scientist pulling GM the strings. Right, not. get off the sidelines, stay in the press box. Keep making the team money, and uh, that's it. I mean, let let the, let your coaches coach.
2: Now, here's the thing about coaches not being able to call plays <laughs> when it's fourth and two, and you decide to go for it, and the offensive coordinator calls down a play that sucks. Can Jason Garrett overturn overturn it, it or would that be against? His rules from his boss. I don't know. Can,
0: how many people? You only have one guy with a headset to the quarterback, right? So maybe Jerry Jones, but like you know, gives like, him a bright orange headset to make sure he's not wearing the one that can talk to Romo.
2: But I mean, does, isn't the head coach supposed to, uh, you know, be in charge?
0: Yeah. If, I have no idea how this. All right, is so
2: work. it's fourth and two at the thirty. I decide we're going to go for it, but that's where my decision making ends <laughs> yeah i guess I mean, i know not every nfl coach calls plays but head coach but every nfl coach is responsible for what happens on those plays right so if that responsibility gets taken away from you in press conferences now can is jason garrett like off the hook on all bad play calls like hey and is I was he running pro- is, i was
0: promoted is he running the the drills in what is he doing in uh what is he doing during the game in general? Like, if he's not calling plays, what is he doing? Yeah, I kicked the field goal here. Okay. Uh, is he even allowed to call the fourth and two plays? Is like, he
2: allowed to, say, punt like right, I don't fourth know. fourth and 20 on the 13? Super
0: bizarre. I don't know how it can work. And it, Sure, it's a cushy job, and it's better than swinging a hammer or something like that. But, man, I can't imagine working for a boss like that.
2: Brutal boss. Speaking yeah. of guys who work for that boss, uh, Bill Parcells is one of the 17 finalists for the Hall of Fame, which. The guy who drafted uh, the class is going to be Pat announced. White. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The class is going to be announced. Uh, this is the list in order of finalists. And Don, remember, only five modern day nominees can make it. So of these 17 finalists, who do you got as your five? You ready? Sure. This is in alphabetical order. Larry Allen, Jerome Bettis, Tim Brown, Chris Carter, Curly Culp, Eddie DeBartolo Jr., Kevin Green, Charles Haley, Art Modell, Jonathan Ogden, Bill Parcells, Andre Reed, Dave Robinson, Warren Sapp, Will Shields, Michael Strahan, and Arenas Williams. or Aeneas Williams.
0: All right, Strahan's no brainer, right? Or is it too much in one season? He has
2: a sack record for sure. Right. So I mean
0: I'll say Strahan. Uh, I'm not gonna claim to know the ins and outs of offensive line, but it seems like Jonathan Ogden was in the Pro Bowl He's definitely all a the no-brainer. time. He'll, right. he'll so, be elected. Ogden, maybe one of the receivers finally makes it in. At this point, I don't know what you base that other than numbers, and I, I don't know who has the best numbers of Brown and. Did you say Andre Reed? Is he one? Yeah, Reed, Brown, and Carter all there. Carter, yeah. I think they all have pretty similar numbers, so. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe the problem with them is they cancel each other out. Like
2: Elliot Harrison, who writes for NFL. dot com, thinks that it will be Larry Allen, former uh, offensive lineman in the Cowboys dynasty. Okay. Right. Yeah. Charles Haley won Super Bowls with the Forty ers and the Cowboys. Cowboys right. Uh, big sack guy. Jonathan Ogden, we talked right. about, Ravens, offensive lineman. Bill Parcells, Sure, yeah, like yeah, all yeah. Hall right. of And Michael Strahan. He says if he had a ballot, he would vote for Allen, Haley, Ogden, Parcells, and SAP. So basically, he's just switching Strahan and SAP from who he thinks should make it and who he would vote for.
0: Okay, that sounds about right. So that means Those none of the wide receivers. They have a tough time because I think they're all real similar, and none of them, none of them were the best in their time, really, at any point. And they're going to have a tougher time when guys like Moss and them, uh, Moss Harrison, Evie T O is probably a first yep. ballot T-O, Hall of T-O, Famer. I Harrison. Mean, yeah, they're going to have a tougher time getting in, and maybe they never do, which is weird because then you start comparing them to some of the guys already in the Hall of Fame and. But the game but, is different. Right, right, right. How do you judge that? But, yeah, they they have a tough time, I think, because they're all too similar. I think maybe they split votes a little bit.
2: I guess maybe because I lived it and watched it, it's kind of hard for me to think Andre Reid is not a Hall, a Hall of Famer, Famer but right. Jim Colley and Thurman Thomas are. Sure. Just because it always seemed like, None of those three would have been as good without the other two. But if you think to about two thirds of a man and not and I, the third,
0: I know it's a totally different game, so you can't compare numbers. But Stevie Johnson's like the first bill to have three back-to-back thousand-yard seasons or something. Like, so to think that Reed didn't even do that, maybe that's what keeps him out. I don't know. Maybe his—that's what I think. The, the problem with those guys is their top end, like their ceiling, isn't as good as it could have been, or. Uh, against guys with comparable numbers like who are the receivers of their era that they're comparing him to i mean obviously there's jerry rice and who else retired in that era that has made it is it really just jerry rice
2: yeah you know it's interesting when you look at i mean andre reed didn't have his first thousand yard season until 1989 and his rookie year was 1985 yeah i mean Um, i bet
0: that era is tough i mean it's jerry rice and i'm i'm sure i'm missing some guys in my head but like what well, other Art res- Monk
2: is the Hall of F- in the Hall of Fame. He kind of played yeah, in that yeah. period. Um, James Lofton? Similar players, of, according to James Lofton, obviously, is in the Hall of Fame. Steve Largent. Those guys were kind feels of. Feels a little earlier um, right. their right. prime, anyway.
0: Yeah, their prime was right before the guys that are getting snubbed now. If you Isaac
2: Bruce and Torrey Holtz. That feels a little after. Yeah. Henry Ellard was a really good wide receiver then. Um The guys from um, Houston who played in that
0: offense
2: who were all kind of about the same.
0: I think that's the problem with the receivers then is there was just too many guys with similar stats. And Jerry Rice was so far better than all of them. And that was more of a a running era. So you got probably 50. Andre Reid made seven Pro Bowls. Yeah, I mean that. So if we just pick the 1992
2: Pro Bowl right in the middle of the year, the, the other wide receivers that season were Sterling Sharp, okay, for Green Bay, Jerry Rice, right. obviously, uh, Steve Tasker, who made it as a special, special teams. teamer, uh, Haywood Jeffries, one of the wide receivers from Houston I mentioned, Anthony Miller, Michael Irvin, Andre Johnson. Uh, Fred Barnett, Chris Duncan, and Andre Reed. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it's a tough position to make it in at. I'd, I'd almost argue Steve Tasker deserves to be there because he was so good at that position compared to other people at that time. But then again, is Steve Tasker more important to his team than Andre Reed was or than Chris Carter was? I don't know. It's, it's a tough debate, and receivers have always kind of had a – it took forever for uh, Stalworth and Swan to make it in too, and people would argue if, even if they deserve to be in there.
2: Yeah, so it will be interesting to see what the voters in the hall decide this year. So we are going to take a break and come back with our good buddy, Richard Deitch from Sports Illustrated. <laughs> All right, our guest today is a graduate of the University at Buffalo and covers media for Sports Illustrated. Welcome, the great Richard Deitch, to the program. How you doing, Mr. Deitch? Well, again, your,
1: your intros are getting better because they're shorter. Mm-hmm. I, we don't need When you say the great Richard Deitch, that's like Mike Greenberg, Mike and Mike kind of radio. And not everybody's the great... Right. I mean I appreciate and I'm not even trying to be a pain here well, but we you don't just say again that to everyone. we've gone through this so many times <laughs> why not just introduce me as me you could certainly say I'm from UB because you're a Buffalo based right. show yeah, yeah. or you could certainly say I'm a fr- you know I am someone who is a big supporter of the city of Buffalo right. but there's no there is no reason for you to overpromote me I you know did. my my get my appearance Tonight. on this show my ability to answer your questions I think will be Entertaining enough for your listeners, where there's no need for you to say great at the top. Okay. They'll either judge if I'm great at the bottom or not. Okay. Anyway, so. as always, I am happy to be on the favorite podcast of Lee Jenkins.
2: <laughs> that, that it is. It, he's uh, been on twelve times, and you're
1: you're creeping up, though. Lee Jenkins is the uh, he's sort of the Bill Russell of your podcast, if you will.
2: Yeah, he's uh, on many times and undefeated. Absolutely, he's a stud for sure. And, he is good. very talented guy. Yeah, I guess Lee Jenkins is to sportscasters' guests as the Super Bowl is to, to sporting events. To how about Lee
1: Jenkins is to the sportscasters' guests as New Orleans is to the Super Bowl? Hosting. In terms of how many times it's been in that city.
2: Right, yeah. And that, was this the ninth one, I believe? I think so,
1: yeah. But yeah, clear, listen, you, again, uh, one of the reasons I like your podcast is because you do have people on it who I think are thoughtful, smart, interesting. You're not always trying to, hey, let me get Chris Berman on because he's a, the most famous face at ESPN. You're like, hey, let me get some interesting people on who are out there doing shoe leather reporting, doing interesting stuff. So right. I, I appreciate
2: that. And that was the goal. And last week we had a really interesting guy, Mark Bradley. Are you fam- familiar with yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, former, AJC. is he still in Atlanta? Yeah, AJC. Yeah, right. he was really right. good too. It's just, that was a new one, and we liked that one. So. How um, did you end up getting Mark Bradley? Uh, I just called and said I wanted to talk to him. It was really like that. You know, just I think
1: I I told you this way back when that the one thing that especially sports writers love is talking about themselves and their profession. So you should almost never have a problem getting anybody in the profession, maybe outside of someone like Mitch Albom, you know, someone who is so crossover kind of that they probably have their own publicist and stuff. But if you make the call and you guys are willing to work around the schedule, there's not, in my opinion, a sports columnist in this country again with the exception of someone like his famous his album that you guys can't land. Yeah. Especially yeah. given especially given now how many times you uh, how many guests you've had before, because you right. you know, then Quite you can write a good it. pitch letter and say, Hey, right. here are all these people who've appeared on the show.
2: Yeah, you know who actually was the biggest I think the ball two people who drove that publicity up was yourself because you were the first sports illustrated guest we had and then Joe Posnanski was on only our sixth show. And after that, it just seemed a lot easier to... Well, I mean, it's nice thing you say about me?
1: I'm not sure I'm buying that. But Posnansky, though, again, that's the National Sports Writer of the Year. Right. He's won those, I think he's won those awards or an A award. And so, right, I mean, pretty much everyone in the profession has heard of or has read Joe Posnansky. So, you know, this is what, uh, this is, you know, what, when I used to do Sports Illustrated's Q&A um, and had to interview a lot of famous people, it builds on itself. So to try to go after Denzel Washington, I'd say, hey... You know, we've interviewed uh, Russell Crowe, John Travolta, Quentin Tarantino, so and so. I'm not sure Tarantino is one, but you know, we've interviewed these people over the last six months, and publicists basically realize, all right, you know, you've had people who are sort of the equivalent of this. We'll check it out and uh, and see that.
2: So, tra- transition to the to the Super Bowl a little bit. I was thinking about how the Super Bowl is, is certainly a sporting event, but it seems in a lot of aspects, that it's just as much a media event. And that's why I wanted to talk to you this week, just because I wanted to get some perspective from you on the way the game is covered and the way the game has evolved into this massive media event.
1: Well, I mean, it's sort of... I mean, I think at this point... Um it's evolved to what it's evolved now the numbers are still going to grow and you're still going to get more people covering it and it's going to become even bigger but it's sort of it is what it is now and that is a a mega event in this country um i don't think you'll ever have more sports media people at one event than you will at the super bowl in the week leading up to the super bowl um and it's you know it's like a lollapalooza of, of 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 sports you you know Uh, The last one I went to was two years ago in Dallas, and, you know, it's at a gigantic, you know, the media is basically set up at a gigantic media hotel on multiple floors where there's, you know, radio row stations from all over the country set up and have guests, uh you know, the sort of a, guests from any corners of football. You have a different uh, level where there's television people doing their uh, television interviews and stuff. The, the print press is sort of walking all around. Um, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but I think it was 5,000 or 6,000 um, media credentials. So it's become massive. I mean, you know, the NFL is now selling tickets for Media Day, which is kind of amazing to me. Um, it's become, uh, the hype for the game has become not as big as the game, but almost as big as the game, um, and it's an incredibly brilliant marketing tool for the NFL because it perpetuates on itself. Um, it's people going after the same story. It's us seeing the same soundbite pretty much on every station and every medium. Um, and you know, so far, there's a lot of people say, "Oh, I'm sick of the game. I'm sick of the hype. I, I just want the game to happen." But I'm not saying that's wrong. But people still watch. I mean, there's a reason why all these places are at the Super Bowl. It's because There's an insatiable demand for NFL, Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays this week because uh, you know Ravens Niners is kind of a different meaning uh, than if we had uh, you know Patriots Packers or something like that. These are two teams with they certainly have their storylines, but they're not as they're not the glamour teams uh, that we might have gotten. So I'll be very interested to see um, you know how much interest there is uh, over the next couple weeks in these two teams. At least from uh, from, uh, people outside of those cities.
2: The storylines that have jumped up so far is obviously the two brothers coaching against each other in the Super Bowl is the one that everyone jumped to right away. Uh, Ray Lewis playing his last game, win or lose. Is there something else that you're interested in seeing
1: covered? Well, um, I think Kaepernick is a great story, personally. I mean, like, the guy, you know, from the fact that he emerged... uh, uh, in the middle of the season as a major figure in the NFL after Harbaugh made the decision to, to bench Smith and go with him. Um, I think he's going to you know, and he's also this new breed of quarterback, just, right. you know, incredibly strong, uh, strong runner. I mean, you know, great arm. Uh, in the same vein as RG3, and I, I mean, again, it's just like, not that we haven't seen quarterbacks like this before, whether it's Randall Cunningham, Vic, et cetera, but this is like this guy's even bigger to me. I mean, it's more interesting in that he's, uh, uh, he's just long and fast and, and, and an interesting athlete. Um, so I think he's going to be a big story. I think the, the country's going to get to know Kaepernick far more than they did, again, from Nevada, not from your traditional, like, uh, right. college football power. I Nevada think, again, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna learn about some guys, uh, who have been really good players, but haven't gotten the kind of fame that other, uh, players have gotten. People like Frank Gore, I think, uh, it'll be interesting to sort of see, um, what he gets here. I find Randy Moss really interesting in that he's at a Super Bowl. You know, once upon a time, the guy was the best receiver in football, one of the best players in the league. And now he's essentially like a role player, a bit part, and uh, has been really good at it. You know, really been a good team guy this year. So um, I find him really interesting. Ed Reed on the Ravens, to me, is an interesting story. One of the great safeties of all time. Um, Probably overshadowed with the whole Ray Lewis stuff, but... um, but he's interesting to watch, and Flacco, you yeah, know, the quarterbacks are always interesting. Joe Flacco, I think, like Kaepernick, is going to get a massive amount of publicity this week um, because I think the idea is if the Ravens, or I think the thesis positive will be, if the Ravens win the Super Bowl, Flacco goes to a place uh, among quarterbacks that he has not been at. And whether you want to use the word elite or not, I don't know. But you're, you, Joe Flacco wins the Super Bowl, his entire reputation to me changes um, uh
2: before our very eyes. And he has stared down some very good quarterbacks to get to that Super Bowl, you know, played very yeah. well in the game against Manning and and absolutely outplayed Brady last week. Um and a little bit of luck in the worst safety play I've ever seen in that Denver game, but you know, <laughs> right. you, you don't get to this point sometimes without a little bit of luck. Uh CBS is covering the game and the last time they did it was uh I'll try not to exaggerate, but the greatest day of my life. And um I was able to, at one point doing this podcast, thank Mike Tirico for the great call that he gave to um, Steve Gleason in the second greatest sports moment of my life, and the first being the Tracy Porter pick, and I'll always, every time I hear Jim Nance and Phil Simms talk, I, I'm taken back to that moment, and uh, we I think it was Will Leach and I who had a really interesting discussion a couple of weeks ago on the show about Sports really being about moments and holding on to those moments and enjoying them. What do you think about Nance and Sims in terms of guys covering this game relative to some of the great play-by-play and color men that have covered it in the past?
1: I think they're good. Um, I, you know, I'm not. Uh, there's a lot of guys in New York who who write about media uh, who love Phil Sims. I'm not on that bad way I don't think he's bad. I just, you know, I prefer Collinsworth. I, I prefer Mayock. I probably prefer Aikman before him. Um I certainly would prefer Fouts before him. So um yeah, I mean I'm not, you know, there, there's a there you know, it's all subjective, we know that, and but there's a group of people in the business who really like Sims. I am uh, uh I'm not waving the flag for him like others. Um I think Nance is a really professional broadcaster, uh good pipe, smart, he'll always give you a good broadcast, you know, a little vanilla, a little conservative uh you know i think nance will claim that he's someone who's aggressive against officials i don't buy that at all um i think they will give you a solid broadcast the one thing about that crew is that they're professional um and the the the, the director and producer of their crew too are very good um so you're gonna get a solid broadcast you know i don't think you're gonna get mistakes um at the same time i think there are better people um but it doesn't matter I, I, in, in, in terms of what you're talking about with Leach. It doesn't matter in the sense that if there's an incredibly great moment and they make the call in the great moment, that, that that's what will be remembered even if earlier in the game or in the first quarter or the second quarter they're not particularly um, great. So the one thing that we've seen, though, at least over the last couple of years, is the Super Bowl has been very close. And it's been very interesting, and we've gotten these great – signature moments, you know, Tyree's catch or Manningham's play. Um, So I think what CBS is rooting for above all is for a close game. Because if you get a close game, then you have a shot at getting the record. I think it's going to be even more important this year to have a close game because I don't think the Ravens and the Niners bring as many fans as certainly the Giants from a New York standpoint or the Packers from a traditional classic standpoint. So I think it's important for CBS to get a... uh, to get a very close game um, if they want to continue the trend of breaking the viewership record.
2: You know, it's interesting when you were talking about the moments, and I, I was thinking about the biggest moment in the last CBS game was obviously the Tracy Porter interception. And right before that play, Phil Sims was very uh, vocal about how the Saints shouldn't blitz. And they blitzed, and there was the interception and the touchdown, the, the big play in the game. And Sims in his analysis of the play he says, you know, well, I said not to blitz, well they sent everybody and, and kinda like uh instead of like shying away from maybe his incorrect opinion, he, he kinda tackled it head on. Do you think that's what people pick up on when they like Sims? Is and, and what is it about Sims that maybe you're not as high on as other people?
1: Well, yeah, I mean I think I, I seem to remember that and I think and that's good. I mean anytime I think you acknowledge your Uh, mistakes. I think it's a great thing. I think viewers really respect that. And again, it's not that I dislike Sims. Um, I, I just don't find that I learn as much about the game when I'm listening to Sims as I do with other broadcasters. And I also think he's very... I think protective is too strong saying protective of the league, but I find him to be more of a kind of a company man with the NFL than I do Collinsworth. So if I'm bothered by anything... I find that a CBS broadcast is very kind of conservative when it comes to the NFL. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, it's just an observation. Um, so, again, when it, especially when it comes to analysts, it, it's a very subjective kind of business in terms of who you like and who you don't like. There are a ton of people who really dislike Tim McCarver. He bothers people to death. He doesn't really bother me that yeah, much. I've either. actually liked him over the years. And maybe part of my bias is because I saw him... Uh, growing up as a Mets analyst when McCarver was young and really on his game. And, like, you know, maybe that that sort of continued with me. So much of this is very, very subjective. And, again, I don't want to say that I dislike Sims and Naps because I don't. I think they call it a, a quality broadcast. I just think they're not, you know, if I had to pick the top three or four, they would not be in my top three or four.
2: If you had to pick any two... Guys, to call this game, so you would lean towards Michaels and Collins? Colin, yeah, any yeah. big
1: NFL game, if I had my druthers, those two would call.
2: And what if you had the chance to mix a match? Would you still stick with those two?
1: I would. Okay. Yeah, I, I would. I would stick. I would one. I would stick with those two because of me. They have good chemistry, and two, I rate them as the best play-by-play announcer and best color person in the NFL.
2: Now, as far as the other media things that surround this game, do you get into? paying attention to things like the halftime show and the commercials, or do you leave that for the TMZs of the world?
1: I mean, you know, I think all of us who sort of cover this stuff, like we watch the commercials and we'll rate the commercials. Uh, You know, it's interesting to me how much a commercial goes for. Uh, Two weeks ago, CBS said that they were selling commercials, topping out at over $4 million for 30 seconds. That's pretty interesting to me. Um, So, you know, I mean, if you're watching the broadcast, I think you're taking it all in. When I write off the Super Bowl, I'm sure I will write mostly on the broadcast itself, not on the commercials. I'm also really fascinated by the pregame and just uh, what they do with it, how long it is, can they differentiate themselves from previous pregames? I'm interested in how Scott Pelley interviews Barack Obama. Um, so that's interesting to me. It's interesting to me uh, how C- or it will be interesting to me how CBS does its pregame show, how it mixes between entertainment and sports. Uh, you know how ridiculous they get with product placement. So that's that, That's the stuff, at least for the broadcast, that'll interest me.
2: Now, when you speak of uh, a pregame show, what makes a good Super Bowl pregame show, in your opinion? Is there a specific thing you remember from a previous Super Bowl that stands out as, wow, that was really making good use of a
1: lot of time that they they do have?
2: I think you got to find the right mix to take care
1: of the casual sports fan and the hardcore NFL fan. And I would always tend to side with less nonsense and more kind of real features. I think where places get in trouble is when they do the nonsense red carpet stuff with Michael Strahan or Maria Menounos. That's when you get in in trouble, to me, is when you sort of go down that ridiculous celebrity road too long that Fox certainly uh, in the past has gone down with. Also, if you remember in Dallas, um, there was a a pretty big pregame story with uh, fans not being allowed to sit where they were seated because I think Cowboy Stadium misjudged the seating, weren't done with seats in time. Fox totally botched that story, barely gave you anything as a uh, viewer, and in my opinion, totally basically in that, on that, they were in the tank on that story for the NFL. Um, so to me, if something breaks out, I, I want reporters somewhere for these pregame networks to give me the story that breaks out. Um, and, again, this doesn't have to be Face the Nation. It's still supposed to be fun and uh, as a broadcast, but I think you can do that. I think if you produce really interesting features and have a good conversation between your analysts on set, you can have a really good broadcast uh, in the pregame. And, again, there's a, there's a place to have fun. There's a place for a little bit of the celebrity stuff. It's just don't overwhelm me with that, and don't insult my intelligence by... Uh, Red carpeting it up to death.
2: All right, let's finish with this. Um, I'm interested to see who you think wins the game, and I'm also interested.
1: Are you really that interested in who? I mean, you can ask a thousand people. Well, I'm curious. You really care who I think wins?
2: Well, yeah, but it's only two words, right? And you say, "I think this team." I guess, but I mean, you know, it
1: seems like that'd be far more interesting if you, you know, you asked a Jim Trotter, Don Banks, uh, even a a Mark Gaughan a Jerry Sullivan, guys (laughs) who cover the league. I mean well, you're in Buffalo too. Why not give why not give some of the Buffalo news guys some run? We, I notice they are on your podcast, run. it seems locally, you you have a bias against the local reporters. No. We've had Harrington, we've
2: had uh Mike Shope, who's the big radio guy here. We, I know who
1: Mike Shope is. Have you had
2: uh have you had uh Bucky Gleason? We've had Tim Graham. We haven't had Gleason. I don't like Tim Graham. Why
1: not Bucky Gleason? think he'd be a good guest. Incredibly opinionated guy.
2: Yeah, well I think
1: is it, Bucky am I hitting on something, a personal problem between the sportscasters
2: and Bucky Gleason? Well, it's nothing that he would know about. It's just that I have vastly different views that, than he does in terms of um, how people in Buffalo should try to develop their hockey players.
1: Uh, But that would be an interesting conversation if you have a difference of agreement, no?
2: Yeah, I I guess. Because I think you you both would be reasonable within that discussion. I have a younger brother who is a very serious hockey player, played AAA all the way up. He plays D1 at Yale now. And if we followed the Bucky Gleason model, he wouldn't be getting a two hundred and fifty thousand dollars education for nothing, and being able to play hockey at one of the premier universities in in the country. And my, sure, brother, well, so
1: that but that's an interesting discussion. The whole idea of if you go to the junior route or do you go to college to try to get a free education? That's interesting.
2: Yeah. Well, he he would say, don't even dream about it. It's not going to happen. Don't don't even try. And you parents are crazy. And. You know why? Crazy he was, to go to the college hockey. Route no, no. Even else? well before that, you know, like when my brother was ten, I think his pee wee minor year, he played for a team out of Rochester, not a team out of Buffalo, and like something like that. Gleason totally turns his nose at and thinks is just unbelievably ridiculous and you know house league hockey is good enough and if your boy is good then he'll make it and don't you know dream because it's too hard and there's only you know 50 college hockey teams and your kid's not going to get a spot and I mean this is something he's written my brother has carried an article for two years in his hockey bag that Gleason wrote about how he shouldn't dream about playing college hockey and you know so I, I don't know I just all right. Well, that would this would be way. an interesting
1: discussion. Obviously, your brother has made it, so I mean, in that sense, uh, he used whatever inspiration he got from from Bucky's columns to get to where he wants to be. But that's to me would be a really interesting discussion on, you know, how to develop a hockey player from a certain region. You know, I
2: really always like these end of the interview discussions, and this time I don't even think we're going to burn any bridges with it. I
1: love that. Well, that's good because again, this is fifteen times more interesting than me giving you yet another prediction on the Super Bowl. Oh, I think is going to be able to, you know, really g- g- really throw the ball deep against the Niners secondary. I, to be honest with you, I'm not even sure who's going to win. I haven't given it enough thought. My instinct is that I think the Niners are going to win, but I have to, like, look at the game a little bit more. Um, but that's not even a great prediction. I think it's the Niners a favor, I think, uh, by four or so, although the number, I hear the... Money is going on the Ravens. Yeah, I, I well. it should be a good game. I think the teams are fairly close, um, but uh, I don't know. There's something about this 49ers team that that uh, that I like late in a game, um, and it's not that I dislike the Ravens, but I I think I don't know. I think Kaepernick seems to be a really hard guy to prepare for, um, but we'll see. Ravens defense did a really good job on Brady, so. Um, you know, clearly there's a there's there's talent on that side. It should, I'm just rooting for a good game. That well, that I hope I hope for everybody's sake, that's what we get.
2: The real prediction I wanted from you before you cut me off uh was that what wh- how do you think this game will do in terms of a rating because that's a question specifically that you would give me the best answer to, not a Trotter or some of the other people you mentioned. Right.
1: I my my prediction right now is that it will not set a record. Um now, that's me going against history, basically. Because I think the last five years or six years, it has. But I'm thinking, because of the two teams, I think it's going to be a touch below last year's rating. Now, if it's a close game in the fourth quarter, it will set a record. I mean, that's usually what this comes down to. Um, but my, if I had to predict, I would predict... I mean, again, you know, 110 million-plus people are going to watch this or whatever. But I think if I had to predict today... I, my gut is just telling me that the rating is going to be a little down from last year's mega rating. Um, which was the, so case we'll, see I, the uh, we'll see if I turn out to be right, games. but that my instinct tells me the two teams, the two markets, I, I just have a feeling it's going to be a Ted now.
2: Interesting. Interesting. Because the championship games were down as well, which I... They were significantly down, yeah. And that's a
1: part of my, I think, reasoning heading into this is that... Um, and again, they're, they're interesting football teams, but they're not the Cowboys, they're not the Packers, they're not a New York team. And I think that's going to be the difference for not getting a record, but CBS is going to get a massive audience. I mean, again, it's, right. you know, it's going to be the biggest show of the year, as it always is. And uh, you know, if it's not 112 million, it be, might be 110.5 million. It's still a massive audience.
2: Well, thanks for taking the time out with us, as always. I kept you a little bit longer than I asked for, so I'll let you go. But thank you very much for being on the show today. We always appreciate it.
1: Always happy to be on the Sportscasters,
2: especially for what you guys pay me. <laughs> thank you, buddy. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Yep. See you. <laughs> Alright, thanks to the ball buster himself, Richard Deitch, for being on the show with us today. Um, just want to remind everyone you can find the podcast you're listening to now at www.footballnation.com. Click on podcasts. You can also find us on iTunes and on podomatic.com. Don't forget to check out the Sportscasters proper at www.sports-casters.com. No new episode this week, but make sure you check out season three, episode eight, featuring interviews with Will Leach and Ken Schott. You can find that podcast at our website and on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Uh follow us on Twitter if you'd like, at sports underscore casters, and don't forget to follow our friends at Football Nation at FBall Nation. And um you can email us at any time, thesportscasters at gmail.com, just like Our first female email to make the show, Sarah from Ithaca, New York, says, Steve and Don, most of the focus on the Super Bowl so far has been the Harbowl and Ray Lewis retiring. Are there any other interesting Super Bowl storylines
0: that you guys are into? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I, I hope it's a great game. I like to watch good football games, but I mean... It was the last Ravens Super Bowl that was terrible, right? Yes, against the Giants. Against the Giants. That's probably the worst Super Bowl ever. And this feels like, I don't know, maybe the maybe the Ravens' magical season continues. But I, I imagine San Francisco is going to be a big favorite in this game. And I don't know that the game is going to be close. But I hope it is. I hope it's a good game. And uh, she mentions Ray Lewis. And the more I think about it, the more I – I think maybe he's a reason not to root for, I don't know. I can't get caught up in the Ray Lewis love. It just seems like a very me first. He's like going on a farewell tour, but he's going to, he's throwing the farewell tour himself. You know what I mean? Like the, the attention after the games, the, I've never liked his stupid dancing before games. And he's a great player and he's maybe what he does. All that, uh, showmanship maybe that fires up his teammates and he's obviously a a good teammate and a a good field general if you want to use that term but i don't know i can't i can't get too excited about or too choked up about ray lewis retiring
2: i think if i had to think about what interests me in the super bowl the running backs are both pretty interesting sure uh frank gore from the u uh, had two acl injuries at the u Never really got ahead of guys like McGahee and has had a really good NFL career. And um, the interesting thing about Ray Rice is he's from Rutgers, not the traditional NFL program. Another thing is the two quarterbacks are from really, really small colleges. Uh, Flacco played at Delaware and Kaepernick played at Nevada. Um, So that's kind of interesting to me. And then I think the most interesting player in the game is someone who plays on the Ravens defense. And he's not Ray Lewis. He's Ed Reed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ed Reed is kind of the quiet leader of that team. A guy who's been the NFL defensive player of the year a couple times, another guy who went to the U like Ray Lewis.
0: I can get more behind him. He's arguably yeah, the best player ever to play that position. He's
2: a great safety and has had a great career and wasn't on the team when they won the Super Bowl last time. Right. Um, so I think that uh, what I'm most interested in in terms of the six-hour post-game show <laughs> and what features might be done by CBS, I'd love to see one about... Where the quarterbacks played college football, both of them being at offbeat programs, and maybe why they ended up there and how they made it to the NFL from those places where, you know, I'm sure they're both the first quarterbacks ever to represent their schools in the Super Bowl. Yeah, just,
0: just give me a good game. I know that's a boring answer, but give me a good game. That's all I want to see.
2: Yeah, and, and I think I'd read deserves a little bit sure. Bit. Uh, yeah, uh, why not notoriety for everything he's done for the Ravens franchises? For sure, it's always about Ray Lewis, but
0: don't forget how good Ed Reed's been. Right. Um, I guess that brings us to the end, and I got one more thing, and that's Titus Young. Uh, if he's not careful, he's not going to get mentioned on this podcast ever again. Not because of anything he's done to us, but he's just he brings immaturity level to an all time low. I guess I want to say immaturity level to an all time high. He tweeted today that, "quote If I'm not going to get the football, I don't want to play anymore." Uh, Okay. They have Calvin Johnson on the team. You have 600 yards receiving as a rookie and regressed this year and had less than 400 yards receiving, partially because you were benched at the end of the year because Ryan Broyles and
2: Ryan Broyles is stealing your job. Right. Right. The
0: kid out of Oklahoma that was coming back from an ACL under drafted right yeah so if you want to quit football I mean that's what you want to put publicly you're 23 years old you want to put out there for all the world to see that you want to quit football you better be careful because they might just let you and and then what are you going to do he's he never ceases to amaze me this guy he's got all the tools and he's done nothing but underperform with him. All
2: right, one last thing for the sportscasters this week before we get into the big Super Bowl show next week. Um, Am I missing something with the NFC Pro Bowl quarterbacks? Um, It was one thing when the team was announced and Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, and Robert Griffin III made it. But since then... um, Griffin has obviously had to bow out due to his knee injury, and Matt Ryan is out for a month with an AC joint injury. And still, Drew Brees is not one of the guys who have made it. They've picked Russell Wilson and Eli Manning as the replacements. Eli Manning was strangely the first guy up after Robert Griffin III. It was clear he wasn't going to play. And I think that if I'm going to be really upset with anyone being in the Pro Bowl other than Breeze, it has to be Manning, who had a worse quarterback rating, less yards passing, less touchdowns by a mile, forty-six to 43-26, to 26, and almost had as many picks as Breeze, which I guess would be the argument against him is the 19 picks. Drew Brees had 670 attempts, which is by far the most in the entire league. He completed 63% of his passes. He passed for 5,177 yards. Um, He had 43 touchdown passes, like I said, a 96.3 quarterback rating, which I'm sure uh, anyone who's, say, a fan of the Bears and Jay Cutler's (laughs) 81.3 rating would sign up for a heart in a heartbeat for uh but he's still not in the pro bowl and last i checked these games are about stars and supposed to be for the fans and why why wouldn't drew Brees just be there
0: yeah you could almost anyway you could almost argue tony romo deserves to be there before eli manning he had tony romo had a thousand yards more than eli passing just that is a joke i don't get
2: i don't get why breeze Isn't there? He's been nothing but a bright light for the league since the day he signed in New Orleans, and I can't help but think that this is just one last bounty gate punishment.
0: Spend my days with a woman and kind smoke must still and drink